my people. It is time for the Hashtag Racing Family Show. Come one, come all, to our little family episode, our weekly Monday evening time slot. Hey there, Zach Dean. Apologies, just remembered I need to get back to you with the, uh, the nice text that you sent. Great to see you and meet you in person last weekend. Who should we have on the show this week? Well, I see my co-host, Mr. Chris Wheeler. Going to send him the invite to co-host, which is a weird thing. Uh, hope we should be having our pal Ricardo Hunkos joining in. Uh, who else? Maybe a little bit of Kyle Kirkwood. Um, I think that's what we're going to have going on. Mr. Wheeler, Christina, the hashtag racing family OG, how you doing? Um, Mr. Wheeler, why don't you uh, unmute yourself and say hello? Why, hello, Marshall. Hi. Hi. We didn't see each other all weekend long. We were in the same place within, I don't know, 100 feet, 1,000 feet of each other for four days. Didn't see each other once. I think at one point, if you were in the media center, when I had to go over by the elevator at the private entrance of the media center to go to the third floor for the cool thing that IndyCar does randomly on Thursdays, um, then we were probably like 30 feet apart. Is that cool thing drug testing their spotters? Yeah. So, all right, every crew member that has a hard card, we sign our paperwork that says that we're, you know, open to random drug testing. And they've got a computer with all of us in it. And every once a week, at least once a weekend, it pulls random amount of nut names. And this week I got the, I, I, I won. I got the call. Did you test positive for an excess of? Arby's meats by any chance or, uh, oh, man, I don't eat fast food anymore. It, uh, I tested positive for just being awesome. I think, well, there was no need to test for that. We already knew. Oh, look at that. Ah, ah. Ah. So well, I got I to give a shout out to one of our listeners who's already in here and I don't actually know what her name is, but she tweeted at us earlier and I don't know which which of the, the 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 names on her profile I'm supposed to say. So I'm going to say Jen the Jen, Jen and the Ginger, Abby, who, whatever your actual name is, for bringing it all weekend long. Every time I check Twitter, it was a it was a comment like I felt so in line with your with your Twitter all weekend. Abby, because was I was it. no joke. I was hostile because like she went from like hostile is like being like hostile about something or angry to just happy and that was me literally all weekend as marshall knows because i texted him constantly complaining about one thing but then happy about something else so we got a lot to talk about and as we normally do on this show on mondays after indycar races we'll welcome in those who join us from the paddock when they do uh, we appreciate them it could be one it could be 10 it could be early in the show could be late we don't know but this is just us honestly getting together with y'all Open the floor here shortly for y'all to ask questions, join in, share opinions, thoughts about Long Beach or whatever. Um, but the other thing we have to do is to talk about a lot of things that took place. One of them <laughs> being Chris's constant frustration at being jerked around a little bit by some of the photographers who are trying to tell him and the other crew members, the spotters like himself and others, where they could and could not stand, what they could and could not do and when. And 
I'm a photographer as well. I get that. But uh, Chris has a hard card that says he is a member of a team, not a member of the media. And usually members of the media don't try and tell members of the teams where they can and can't do their jobs. The floor to eviscerate people is now yours, Mr. Wheeler. Well, I mean, since you introduced it so adequately, Marshall, I was just so frustrated, right? Like, so for those who don't know, in IndyCar, spotters are not mandatory except for on ovals. One spotter at every racetrack, every oval, with the exception of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, where we have two spotters. So it's not mandatory on road and street courses. Therefore, not everybody takes them. And therefore, there are nothing set up at a lot of the road courses or street courses for a place for us to do our job. So we have to get creative. And by creative, we have to buy tickets to sit in the stands or tickets to be in certain places. So I can tell you that uh, we had to buy two tickets to be on this stand in turn one this weekend. Well, not only is it $666 for two passes, we're up there all weekend long. Same 12, 13 of us, probably uh, maybe 15 spotters this weekend um, in the same spot all weekend long until like I would say qualifying. And now the professionals are showing up with their tape and their markers and they just want to start taping things off and marking things off. And you're like, whoa, dude, like chill. And so. Yeah, Marshall, I was pretty frustrated with them, um, with, with with it in general, um, only because it's like everybody's cool to share, but, you know, well, just ask a question. Like, if you want to stand next to me because either I smell good, look good, or you think it's a better angle for your photo, that's cool. Just say, hey, is everybody standing here? You don't have to, like, push your way through the group and then start writing stuff down and then explaining why we can't be here on race day. And so that was pretty annoying. And then actually Sunday I got up there and I was over in the corner wasn't bothering anybody. There was actually no tape in front of this spot. And somebody from the event came up and was like, hey, you know, we got a report from about hostile spotters last year. We want to let you know that you're going to have to go to the back row if a photographer requests your spot. And I'm like, I'm really confused. So I had a 15-minute conversation with a young man, and it was actually a really good conversation. But um, he's like, look, uh, all your questions are above my pay grade, man. I'm just doing what they asked me to do. Um, so I he got out his phone, Marshall, and I was like, hey, let's make a list of things you can talk to your boss about for next year. <laughs> but, yeah, so Marshall's the guy I vent to, world. I, I vent to Marshall all weekend long during IndyCar races, whether it's situations, um, news, announcements, and or people and or decisions. And so, lucky Marshall, he gets to bring you guys all the great content that he does live from the track and deal with me. Uh, 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 yes, but it's a joy. It's done with a smile. Who could ask for more? By the way, while we've been talking here, I've been texting with our pal Jack Harvey, finding out about how his weekend went. And um, I should ask him to share some of that with us here. But uh, Chris, tell me about about, uh, this weekend for you and what seemed like rising and plunging fortunes uh, for the team that you spot for was really happy to see our man Pato Award uh, rise and do Pato-like things 
was bummed for our man Felix Rosenquist, who started so strong, and then things kind of went uh, sour uh, in the race for him. But uh, what does someone like yourself, who's deeply competitive, what's it like for you to go away from a weekend where it seemed like whatever you went into the race with, those fortunes flipped, maybe 50% happiness in the outcome, but uh, always uh, conflicting emotions unless you're like Team Penske and have all three of your drivers uh, <laughs> you know, running in the top five and leaving the event in the top four in the standings. Yeah, and, and of course to follow my own protocols, this is, I have to, I have to, put out a warning this is only my personal opinion and does not represent my employers but um you know i would honestly say that you know the way the the years has gone so far right i mean st pete was was what it was texas incredible pace and just didn't have the results if you would have told us starting fourth and tenth at long beach sunday morning i think that we were going to finish you know fifth and eleventh most people there would have said like man that's pretty cool yeah We'll take that. But it was funny because when it was over with, it was like, oh, man, something got away here, something got away there. I mean, I, I think we had a good car. You know, I think we had good cars, period. Um, I think it was it was clear what happened with Felix. Um, just I think his reds just fell off a touch before the other guys. And um, the contact with him and Rossi won, I think, just, you know, when, when you're on the end of a tire stint and you're down on grip and you have marbles on the tires – and you're going through a complex like one through five at Long Beach where it doesn't seem crazy because it's not high speed, but it's a lot of – you need a lot of grip. Um, you you really pay a big penalty. When you can't get off of turn five, you know, you're going to get passed by one or two cars that can into six, and you can't really defend because you don't have any grip. So that was unfortunate for Felix. Um, you know, I think he was he, – he had a good weekend, and I, I think he's in a really good place. You know, I think he's he's relaxed, and I told the guys before the weekend started because I spend so much time with Felix away from the track that, um, you know, when he's relaxed, he's he's unbelievably quick, and so I think that showed. I think you know a lot of things showed this weekend that were progress and good things for the program. Um, but I also think if you look at the five car, I mean, I don't think we had a car to win necessarily. Um, you know, I I would like to think if if Sato's not buried in the tires and brings out the full course caution, maybe he. He gets another run going down into nine on power for fourth, but you know I think we had a I think we we did we we ran a good race and we were rewarded with a good finish. You know we didn't necessarily have the car to go win the thing, but um, you know we rewarded with a good finish and good points day, and everybody left with smiles. And most importantly, you know the both cars rolled on the truck. Everybody um, flew home last night um, and is safe and healthy and. The guys don't have to, guys and girls don't have to kill themselves in the shop, you know, to get turned back around in time for Barber now because of our, you know, our equipment's in one piece. So one of the things we're going to do tonight is bounce around a bit because, wow, Long Beach was filled with a lot of amazing stuff. We had drifting. We had the Porsche Cup cars uh, realigning the barriers throughout the circuit. <laughs> Holy cow. Hey, Marshall, can I, take my, can I take my favorite part before you get to that next phrase? Yes. Hearing those Mazdas scream down the back straightaway. Well, that's where I was taking us. We had the Insuetatex four-star championship. Yep. And my pal Mo Murray 
the uh, motorsports director uh, at Mazda uh, taking care of those amazing trip uh, four rotor, all three of those four rotor prototypes as Mo to come join us. So Mo, why don't you unmute yourself, my brother, say hello to our little hashtag racing family community. And if any of you were there and heard them or saw some of the video that I posted and, and whatnot, just saying the most memorable part of last weekend, I think for everybody who attended Long Beach, Mo, courtesy of you and Mazda and Mr. Wankel, because, oh my goodness, <laughs> people were running to the fences to hear your cars. Well, thank you, uh, Marshall and Chris. Pleasure to be here. Hi to everybody. Um, yeah, those those cars are special, and they make a special noise. And we knew when this opportunity came about, when when uh, Chris Vandegrift from HMSA announced an IMSA GTP, historic IMSA GTP race for Long Beach, our ears immediately pricked up and said, hey, wait a minute, down between the walls, down the back straight, uh, from eight down into nine, all those, all those fancy high-rise apartment buildings and condo buildings that went in there, they're going to provide a, an epic sounding board for these engines. So, um, so it was, it was great for us to bring those cars out. You know what? The fan reaction all weekend was, was overwhelmingly, uh, uh, positive and, and a huge surprise for us. We were, I mean, we knew fans were excited about these cars, but overwhelmingly, um, knowledgeable fans who knew exactly the history of the cars and knew exactly where they came from and, and asking us questions about the, the, the minute technical details of the cars. Um, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was a, a spectacular weekend. You know, lots of people said to me, Oh, well, you know, this is thank Mazda for bringing these out. And that's true. And, and Mazda certainly supported this, but you have to understand, uh, and you know, this Marshall at the, at the root of all this, we brought them out because we love them too. You know, mm-hmm. we, we th- this was a this was a, a pursuit of passion for us to get these cars out. They haven't run in a couple of years, um, and we did a lot of work. All volunteer crew, several Mazda employees, and and a couple of former Mazda employees and friends, and my son and the son of, of another Mazda employee and other other people volunteered to help. We worked three four nights a week in the basement in Irvine for the last probably two months. Um, getting these these cars ready, and then all weekend that that whole crew that were there were all all a volunteer crew. But uh, you know our Mazda CMO Brad Odette came out for the weekend. Um, there was a there was a lot of love for Mazda at the weekend, and, and it was it was very uh, invigorating and refreshing for us to feel. So, so Mo, we are by no means done talking about uh, your cars or the historic GTP side of the Long Beach weekend. Want to welcome in our friend, IndyCar team owner, Road to Indy team owner, uh, a winner when it was branded as the uh, Mazda Road to Indy uh, champion with uh, Connor Daly and such, Ricardo Junkos. Uh, Ricky, why don't you unmute yourself? And uh, I'm going to ask about your weekend with uh, the Junkos hauling a racing team in Callum Eilat in a minute. But I know you, Ricky, as a massive fan of motor racing. I can get, although I didn't see it, I can guarantee you went and pressed your nose up against the fences at least once or twice to uh, hear the Mazdas and watch the Mazdas go by in the other GTP cars last weekend. Hey, Marshall, how you doing? Uh, yes, uh, you're right. Actually, I was, uh, I get the chance to see, I remember when I came to this country in 2002 was the 50 years of uh, sibling, and I get the chance to see all these prototypes. Um, and when I hear this Manja rotary, Mazda rotary engine at Long Beach was uh, unbelievable. 
like people with me say, what is that? Like <laughs> you need to explain what it is, right? To some guys, but it's, it's, it's really nice to see this event. And obviously, like you said, we've been part of the road to Indies in 2009, um, win championship with, with Mazda Power and, and being great relationship with them as well over the years. So I'm, I'm really happy to, to see that as well, you know? So Ricky, welcome to the show. It's Wheeler, buddy. Um, I got to say to the, to our audience and our friends and our, and our, and our, and our followers here, the kind of person that uh, Ricky is last night, we were delayed a, over an hour. It, it, everybody was hot. Everybody was miserable. Everybody wanted to be out of LAX because we all know that it is the worst, probably two and a half by two and a half square in Southern California. Um, and this team owner walked past a lot of people to sit one row in front of me in a middle seat for a red eye. Now, there's not many team owners, Ricky, that are going to take that seat. And I was just impressed, my friend. Oh, thank you, Chris. But you know, the, you know me for a long time as well. And and same when we when we crashed at Indy, and I remember you you brought the pizza for all of us. That was actually we still remember about that. And that's what it is about, right? I I feel like. One more, and I remember since the beginning and all the the things that we did to get to this point, and I, I will never change. You know, I I don't care. I'm still the same, and and I think like it's a way to to lead by example as well, and, and be part of the team. Like one more, um, you know, even road to Indy today, people see that they don't know if I'm the team owner or one of the mechanics, and and that's what it is, right? And and I will continue doing the same because being this way is what I get to to the. I guess to the success or uh, led me to this point today. So for me, it's no point to change and I enjoy a lot. And, and at the end of the day, the way I say it is everybody is the same human beings and we just try our best and, and that's it, you know? Well, that's why one of the reasons we love you, my man. And let's, let's talk about, let's talk about Long Beach. Um, it was a tight field. I mean, front to back, <laughs> it was tough. I think, you know, the speeds were, were much higher. I don't really understand why the track had so much more grip in it this year, I feel like. Um, and then you, you brought in the cooler temperatures Saturday and Sunday, and it was a tough go um, all the way around. When the Reds fell off a cliff, they really fell off. Um, and as you guys start to get in the swing of things, right, you did the final three last year. You did a lot to build up your program across the board in all positions through the offseason. How is it starting to click now as you look after the first three rounds of 2022? I think it's good. Is what we predict. It's been so difficult IndyCar in general, right? Um, the level of IndyCar today is, is unbelievable. It's, it's so competitive, so good, so many good teams and drivers. Uh, particularly now Long Beach, uh, we raced last year, right, at the end of the, la- the last year. And today, and this weekend was like a different track. It was so challenged, so changed. You can see the quantity of yellow flags or red flags during the whole weekend. So that tells you already that how difficult it was for everybody. Um, for us in particular, obviously, you know, uh, Kalum was the second time at the track, so that was a little bit advantage in a way. But um, we were top 10 in the practice, and then we keep pushing, pushing for the more, and then I think we made a little mistake on on the setup on quality. You know, it's only one lap. Um, we were about to be like P7 in our group, to be honest, and, and we couldn't put the lap together. And now we were like in our group, in the in the back in our group, but we had like a nine slower car in front of us when you combine both groups, but we still start 20 seconds. So it's just so difficult, you know? Um, and then, you know, we clip the wall on the on the race. Not, not much we can do about it. I think uh, it's all learning for us, right? The driver is rookie, so 
Callum said to me that he never was in a in a that difficult situation in his life. Like at the beginning, the car was really really good. He said no change needed. The car is perfect. Uh, 15 laps on the race, and then we lost the rears on the blacks, and then we lost the fronts on the reds. So kind of what you can do, right? So it's about the experience, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure if you had Joseph, how was it for him? Was the same way, right? But he's been 10 years in the series, so I think experience is huge here. Um, and like I said, it's top tough, right? It's, it's a huge level, and we just need to go step by step. Um, we hard, we work so hard to to be where we are today, um, and it's challenge, but we're gonna try our best to to stay. You know, Ricky, let me let me ask about <clears throat> growing the team. So. As Chris mentioned, you obviously did the last three races of 2021. You put together the the best crew you possibly could for that, but that late in the season, obviously, somewhat limited on folks' availability. During the offseason, you've gone and uh, brought on some really good folks, formed this alliance with Carlin Racing, uh, beefed up your engineering team and such. But you're not done, right? Uh, you're not done trying to add more people, grow. I mean, you're not... You're never satisfied, which is the hallmark of, of a great racer. But tell folks about the fact that you're doing the best that you possibly can, but you're still looking to try and grow and add more people and keep moving forward. Yeah, so the intention, uh, Marshall, is to, in, a, in my mind, is to, to, to build the best possible team over the years. So we, we know it's difficult and we know it's going to take us two, three years probably. But the intention for me and Brad Hollinger is to, to put everything Perfect, right? The way we see perfect, the way we understand is the best. And like you said, last year was so challenged to do, you know, to find people for the last three races. And we did. I think we did a good job. Uh, we were actually quite good sometimes. And obviously we have some issues. I'm really, really thankful for those guys that jump in on the last minute and help us. Um, right now, like you said, we have this Carlin Alliance a little bit on the technical side that allow me to have people with with a lot of experience and they've been working together. So I'm really, really happy with the team as of today. Um, under the circumstances, I think we have the best possible team that we can have. But like you said, we want to continue. We want to go to second car next year. Um, we already have spare cars. We have the road course car, the oval cars, the Indy 500 car. And we try to build that that foundation where we, we see in in our mind is to be the best team possible, right? And obviously understanding how difficult it is. So we're looking ahead for two, three years on the road to be to be good. So from now to that point, we're gonna continue growing. We're gonna continue, you know, learning and, and implement some of the the system, the protocols, the philosophy, the way I see motor racing in general, the way I think um, IndyCar teams should be, in my view. Um, and like you said, you know, adding more people as we go. Now we, the people see now that we are we are doing what we said we're gonna do last year. It's not we just you know, dreaming about it now is reality. We're going to continue. And and I, I'm happy, but uh, obviously we need to go step by step, understanding how difficult it is, understanding our, our reality as of today, uh, because otherwise you can make a big mistake. You can, you know, hope for something that is not realistic. And then and then you can have a, you know, a shock moment. So when you don't get achieve the goals, you can get uh, in, in a bad, in a negativity way. So we got to make sure we... We understand the challenge like this weekend. We, you know, we didn't finish. It was a difficult weekend for us. We worked a lot and it was sad for everybody. But I have people that they, they, they want to be good. They, they suffer when we are strolling. They're happy when we, we achieve the goals. And, and the chemistry in the team is fantastic. Probably the best one we ever have. And I think that's, that's good. And that can, wow. can take us to a, a long way on, on the road, you know. 
So, Chris, we only have Ricky for uh, maybe another five or ten minutes or so. He is uh, jumping in here to join us. And, Mo, we're going to bring you back in here uh, ASAP to talk more about the weekend. Uh, wanted to ask Ricky before we open it up to uh, some of your fans, the uh, members of the hashtag racing family, coming to California, a uh, state I was born in, a state where uh, the population is so diverse, where Spanish is honestly it's not the second language of California. It's, you know, equal with English. What's it like for you uh, coming into a race in California or any of the locations in the country where you know that there is a large Spanish-speaking audience and hopefully fans in attendance? Uh, are you speaking your native tongue more often than uh, most rounds this weekend and getting a lot of love who uh, are cheering for you and the team? Yeah, you're right. Like, it feels a little bit more like home, right? It makes a big difference. Obviously, like, huge, many, many people uh, from Mexico, from Latin America at that particular races and speaking Spanish with us and, and taking pictures and trying to force Kylon to say some words in Spanish. That was quite funny, but... Uh, uh, it's- <laughs> It is, it is good. You know, we have we have kind of uh, more and more we have more momentum and more people, you know, even stop me, which I never get these type of things like to take pictures and stuff like that. So I can feel uh, the growth as well. Um, be Latinos uh, representing Latin America and IndyCar, I think it's good. And it's not only us. We have Pato Award. We have, you know, even Palo is, is a Spanish speaker. Um, I think the IndyCar is in a good time now uh, where we are global clearly. Um, for us, it's a big step forward, right? So, and I, I really enjoy California as well and, and great atmosphere. You know, I don't even know how many people were this weekend, but I presume was was close to record number because it was huge. Um, so same with Laguna Seca as well later on the year, but I really enjoy and I, I feel a little bit more home for sure, right? So, Ricky, we had we had Mike Schenk on, uh, I think it was last week, um, maybe the week before, and one of the things we talked about is, you know, this this problem that we we're all in IndyCar kind of facing. I know I keep bringing it up. Marsh probably doesn't like it, but we're running out of people, right? We're running out of people to hire, running out of people to train. And one of the things Mike Shank talked about, and we know Ray Hall's done a great job with it. Um, we know McLaren's <laughs> done it. Um, it they have a bus right the- outside the local prisons. Just waiting for people. Was that was that the answer? Maybe yeah, I misheard that. But 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 bringing in bringing in young people, new people to the sport, and training them the right way. Um, you know, what is your outlook as you continue to expand your team and to build your your, your group up? Because Mike Shank was not too far off from where you are now, not too long ago. Yeah, it's it's actually a very it's a big issue to be honest, and it's hard to find these people. I'm not sure why. Um, motor racing in general here is, is actually after the uh, 2020, maybe now we're going back to normal and uh, the expansion of prototypes in IMSA and all that probably hurts us a little bit because those are big programs, uh, programs that can be factory support and they have obviously potentially big dollars and that obviously they're going to take all the people away. But you, you can see SSEA races or, you know, local races where they have great, great mechanics and great talent as well. Uh, in my view, the biggest issue is the, Two ways. One is the mechanics that need to be high-end quality mechanics to work in an IndyCar. Um, and the, the concentration level, that the responsibility, right? They're building these cars that's going to go over 220 miles an hour, depending on the trucks. And it's, it's quite quite a lot. 
but also on the engineer side. So the engineers normally now just went to school and became an engineers and they understand this software and simulations and all that, but they, they, they lacking of the real, real experience and hands-on experience which is necessary in my opinion. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of an issue that we have here that we need to find a way to, to fix. Um, what I'm doing now with the, you know, we have a partnership with the Purdue University. So now we have this program where we, we take, we select from 10, 10 students at a time and we select the top three, five, and they come into our program in Road to Indy, like Indy Pro, for example. And now we give a chance to the student to, to come into our team and, and, and both way work, works for us. And we can teach them a little bit and we can recruit some of them, but also we have a feedback to the student, to the school, to the university individual person, so that we have a report per guy. So they get the chance to, to see how the students are doing in a different environment and eventually they can make it better as well. Right. So I think the program is working good. Everything that we think about of this is a long term, right? So you won't find a, you cannot do it in two, three months, five months, uh, build a proper, proper mechanic. That, that's the issue. So I think, but we need to start somehow. So I think we are doing a little bit of that. Um, and in our program as well, we put engineers to work on the cars as well with the hands and, you know, so for them to understand that from a computer and a software, then, you know, there is a real mechanic that need to put a real piece on the car. And sometimes it's hot and sometimes it's during the weekends and it's difficult to do and all that. So I think over probably potentially it's in the year past, we, we've been missing a little bit of that and no, no paying attention. And now we suffer in the problem because it's a, it's a, it's a situation that everybody's suffering, you know, the lack of personnel and, and the quality of the, of the job that requires a, a class like IndyCar or IMSA or motor, motorsport in high level in general. So it's actually quite a, quite an issue that everybody has. And I, I don't know, uh, Chris, what the real answer is, you know, what the solution is. Uh, I'm trying different things and even, you know, I, but that, like I said, I think start from the young people that they need to develop the, the, the youngest, the way should be, but that takes years, you know, to, to get it done. Now, the many reasons I appreciate you, Ricky, is, I mean, you're obviously trying to develop talent that can be used at Hunko's Hauling or Racing, but you're also seeing the bigger picture in trying to help the sport as a whole. So that's, uh, that's not a uh, uncommon thing for you. So, uh, dear friends and listeners, if you have a question for uh, Mr. Hunko's, go ahead and re- request to speak. Uh, got a few more minutes with him. And if you have a question for him, uh, like I said, request. And we will uh, open the good old line for you. Uh, while we're waiting, Mo, tell us about the weekend for you from a standpoint of, yes, it's a historic motor race. It's you know not something that will be remembered in the annals like an Indy 500 or otherwise, but you got trophies. You had hey. champagne bottles at the end of it. I mean, there had to be uh, feelings of happiness and success at what you all achieved in the races. Yeah, yeah. Um, before I say that, though, I do want to say for, for many, many years, Ricky and the Honkos team have have brought great success to Mazda over the years in, in several different formulas. And to now see Ricky and his team step up to the top level at IndyCar and, and the way he's described where they are in their journey. It makes us at Mazda very proud. We're watching and uh, we're very happy to see that, Ricky. So congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you point, very much. Is this a You're point welcome. where I now announce Hunko's Hollinger Racing will be uh, fielding uh, Mazda IndyCar engines a couple years from now, <laughs> Mo, or do I keep that under wraps? I'm sorry. 
Uh, I don't know that the sound measurement people at uh, at IndyCar <laughs> would care for that after this past weekend. So disqualified at every race. Sorry, Ricky, yeah. we're going to have to cancel the plans there. That would be really nice, to be honest, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but back to the weekend, um, Marshall. You know, our our goal for the weekend. I, I said to people over the weekend, if we put these cars back on the trailer with no scratches on them and no fluids falling out the bottom of them, then on Sunday night, then then we'll be happy. Um, but you know that we're racers too, and and once you strap Tom Long into one of these things, um, that seventy-seven car is pretty impressive. That ninety-two IMSA GTP car uh, with Tom in it, it was pretty impressive. We didn't have we didn't have what it takes to chase after Patrick Long. He was very impressive in that Porsche. But Tom Tom did a great job um, and got us a trophy on Saturday. That was great. We finished second. Um, that's a bonus for us. We weren't we weren't really here for trophies, but that's. That's a bonus, and that was great. But at the other end of the spectrum, if you look at the other two drivers we have, and this was deliberate on our part, we, we wanted this to be a celebration of, of, of you know, who we are. Ricky mentioned, you know, you look into SCCA racing, and there's lots of talented people all through SCCA racing who, who maybe missed their chance or maybe maybe didn't really pursue a chance to, 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 to race at the very highest levels. And, and that's where we look. Mazda's got a pretty big footprint in grassroots racing. So for the other cars, particularly in the in the two hundred two, the 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 wonderful red, uh, orange and green liveried uh, Mazda seven six seven B, we put a guy named Rob Borkaki in that car. Rob's been race building and racing Mazda rotary powered race cars out of his Chicago base for thirty five years. He's a he's a, an SCCA stalwart. He's been he's been a Mazda loyalist for for a long long time. So we thought, let's give him a chance. He's, he, you know, this is a, a dream come true for him. And and literally, that's how he was. I called him about a month ago, and I said, "Hey, Rob, yeah, how do you feel about coming out to Long Beach and and strapping into one of these things?" And he texted me the next day, and he said, "Was that phone call real, or or did, was was I dreaming? Is that for, are you for real, or is this some kind of a prank?" Um, and so he came out. We tested at Buttonwillow last week. He did great in the test. Um, and just for him, for somebody like him to race, you know, his, his, the highest level of his racing has not, not to, not to denigrate this, but racing at the runoffs, you know, at v- various years and various racetracks was, was the pinnacle of his career. And then to come out and race um, at the Long Beach Grand Prix in front of all these people in, in a car that everybody's just going nuts about, um, you know, for him, it was a dream come true. And, and that's part of, you know what we what we're about and what, what why we did this is to is to allow him to to have that dream come true moment to have that pinch yourself moment taz harvey in the 56 car taz ha- owns a couple of uh big horsepower cars uh, and a four he owns a four rotor kudzu so so the engine is not no stranger to him the power and the noise of the engine but still this the, this car we have is a piece of history the car the 56 car he raced was uh, built in 1990 um raced at Le Mans. Actually, the trio who raced that particular car at Le Mans in 1990 were the same three guys, Viedler, Gachot, and Herbert, who went on to win Le Mans in the 787B the following year. Um, and so these, and we have these... a we have a cool video that we won't we won't tease, but uh, we got a really cool video that I recorded with Mo. I didn't make it cool. His story makes it cool. I'm going to try and get that edited and posted here, that little video shortly, but it's an amazing story. But yeah, I mean, come on, man. You just made the weekend, Mo. I'm going to keep saying that over and over again. You made the weekend for so many people, uh, the, whether it's the drivers who are in the car. You mentioned Taz. That's my dealer. Like, he's a yeah. guy that we bought yeah. our Mazda from. 
Um, he, I bought his kid's college beater, uh, a 2006 Acura TSX for pennies, uh, but it also has 210,000 miles on it. But um, yeah. it's just great seeing this, brother, because it was so much just like family coming together, as you mentioned, volunteers helping to put the cars together. Uh, honestly, it just pulls at all yeah. the heartstrings. The um, the other thing I'd love for you to share some insights on, Mo, if you could, is the amount of pro racers and IndyCar teams and IMSA teams and drivers who either came by to the paddock to look at the cars or came by and visited uh, on pre-grid and such. I mean, you you, yeah. you and the other GTP uh, car owners and whatnot, I mean, you had the whole paddock coming to you. It's normally Absolutely. the other yeah. way around. Yeah. Yeah, and not only not only the current paddock, but uh, for example, the the two hundred two, the Mazda seven six seven B, that was raced in period by Elliot Forbes Robinson, a legend in his own right. He still works for IMSA, and he came by on Friday and wanted to pour over the car and go through all the details. He sat with Rob Orkaki, and the two of them talked about the car. He he told a great story actually. He said, you know, we're talking about how fast it was at Le Mans and in the EFR in his understated way. He's he's such a great guy. He said, uh, yeah, we said we were kind of slow. We were about maybe 245 down the straightaway. The Mulsanne at Le Mans, <laughs> before, this is before the chicanes. He said, and the Mercedes, they were coming past us at like 253, 254. So we, we were pretty slow. He said, but the thing was, we had a hand throttle in the car. Uh, in case the throttle cable broke, they had a little hand throttle so they could get limp it back to the pits if they needed to. Now, the hand throttle is not there, but the bracket that mounted it is still there, still in the car next to the shifter. He said, so at night when I was getting tired and my leg would cramp up, he said, because your foot would be stuck in the floor for minutes as you went down the Mulsan. He said, I just I just womp on the hand throttle and stretch my legs and move my legs around. And, oh, and, that's uh, brilliant. So, oh, yeah, yeah, it was it was fantastic. One of Zach, one of the guys who take care takes great care of Zach Brown's cars, uh, Paul. So Paul came to me when we were rolling the cars in on Wednesday. And he said, oh, I just got a text last night from somebody who used to race one of these back in the day, Maurizio Sandro Sala. And I, I had done all the research on each of these cars we brought. And Sandro Sala was in what's now the 56 car. Um, and so I said, oh, yeah, he was in this one at this race. And so he texted Maurizio Sandro Sala right there and said, hey, I'm standing next to your car. Um, and, you know, Stefan Johansson came by in, in the uh, warm-up lane, the pre-grid, and you know, was talking about the ones that he drove because he was part of the program back then. Um, just, just in, incredible. And then, as you said, the current guys, Kyle Kirkwood came by and sat in the cars. He wanted, he wanted to get in. We have, we were, we were sneakily taking pictures of Porsche mechanics and our McLaren mechanics and a whole bunch of different people coming by um, to, to, to check out the cars. And, you know, as, as Ricky mentioned, there's a lot of, of very talented younger people who work in IndyCar today, who've never had the chance to hear one of these things. Um, and, and you know, they they come by on Wednesday and Thursday, and they're like, oh, these are kind of cool, and I remember seeing pictures of them. And then they come by on Friday after we ran them, and they're like, what the heck was that? <laughs> you know, so uh, we, we were not kidding. Gonna, no more we volunteers. Were... You're going to have half the IndyCar uh, crew members trying to get, Ricky, you might lose <laughs> some mechanics. They want to go work on uh, the old GTP cars. Well, Ricky, uh, before uh, before we let you go, I did want to ask, talking about developing this new team, right, in partnership with Brad Hollinger and IndyCar here, uh, Brad's obviously been very successful in business. 
but the two of you are also working very hard to develop Funko's Hollinger Racing as a successful team, successful business that would be attractive to sponsors. Can you speak to that side of your team's growth of bringing on some business development people and trying to get you know the, the corporate world, the Fortune 500 world, to look at your team in the same way as the uh, veteran IndyCar teams to invest, to commit money, to say, hey, you're a worthy partner to promote our brand with or do B2B relationships. How is that going for you? I think it's going good uh, and really good, actually. And it's like I said in the beginning, Brad is going to bring to the table things that I, I don't have and vice versa. You know, we can bring to the table things that he doesn't have. Um, if, you know, if, if he wants to build a, a team for himself, it will be pretty much impossible, right? So, and the thing is that we share we share uh, many, many similar values and ideas on, on the motor racing in general. So this, the sport, you know, the, 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 the race car itself, I think it's, it's, it's like I said before, we, we built a teams in the past where we were able to win and still a race car with, you know, tires engine is just big and it's complicated on the technical side. But um, the biggest issue for us is the commercial side, the marketing side that we used to have in the past. Right. And now with Hollinger is 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 different and allow us to to build, which is what we are doing now as we speak, this marketing department inside the team. So marketing today is is huge. Social media, and I'm not gonna say because everybody understands, right? I think before year year past, 20 years ago, you have to win, you know, results are on the table and results have to be pretty much everything. Today you may not need that much. Obviously, you have to have the results, but you can see even teams in Formula One, they are not winning pretty much, and they're still creating this, this commercial value huge time. So I think for us, I like to believe it's a perfect time because, you know, Roger Penske take over IndyCar, which is huge for everybody. I think he's doing a tremendous job. He's, he's fantastic. But also, we been slowed down by the COVID, right, worldwide in 2020. And that maybe helped us a little bit because as we grow inside the team as well, I think IndyCar is also growing tremendously. So I think three, four, five years from now, we, I like to believe that we're going to be super good as an as a IndyCar as a whole, where allow us to have some time to develop internally our marketing department and bring this, this value to the table and, and understand. For me, it's all new, you know, all this networks and B2B opportunities, social relationships and, and social media. So all that is where Brad Hollinger is going to bring to the table in a high level. And of course, coming from Formula One, um, he has a lot of experience and, and he's been inside Formula One and see um, and saw how they do it, right? Which obviously they're doing a really good job. Um, and I like to believe that uh, Roger and IndyCar people are, are on the same way and, and sooner is going to keep growing, 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 and, and it's going to be fine. So I, it's the toughest, right? So we need to, one thing is to be in IndyCar now. We know we can be here, but uh, we need to stay. We need to stay for a long time, and we need to make sure that our marketing side of the team, which, like I said, today is even more important than the other side, is as strong as can be, and, and that's what we're doing as, as we speak, you know. Much love, Ricky. I think, uh, I don't know if I put Wheeler to sleep here. He might have fallen asleep on his own uh, to the sound of my voice. But Hey, man, uh, that red eye was delayed, Marshall. And I'm yeah, fine. that's true. That's true. Ricky, uh, you still tired, buddy? I am, actually. You know what? I get home, like, I dropped some guys on the shop, and then, because my car was at the airport, and then I decide to, I need to sleep, and I just pass to sleep on the, on the bed, and I wake up 4.30 p.m. Like, 
the whole day almost went by and I, I'm still tired. Like, this is unreal. I didn't get sleep when I came home. I tried and it was Monday morning dumpster fires for me, my man. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad so you, you got some. I did, but I'm still tired. Like every every race, we, after the weekends, I'm done, right? Like my brain is just shut up. Like we have so much adrenaline and concentration and things and it's very intensive every weekend, but the Mondays are, are bad for me. So I'm going to, I'm you know, I'm going to go to bed early and, and see if I can recover for the rest of the week, you know? I'm with you. Uh, I'm with you there, Ricky. I, uh, I think I counted, yeah, the total, according to my phone, from Thursday through Sunday, I did 43,000 steps, and knowing that Long Beach is not a very large track, I think, and I'm sure that folks doubled or tripled the amount that I did, uh, but it's just one of those weekends where you're always on the move, you're rarely, if ever, sitting down, Uh, just, it's a really intense weekend, Um, so I know what you mean, I'm worn out from head to toe, and I know everybody else is too, especially after uh, Thursday and Friday were 8,000 degrees. So yeah, just, uh, Long Beach takes a lot out of you. It's funny. You get home from Barber and you're like, Oh, that was cool. But this is one of those weekends that knocks you out, but appreciate you brother. Thank you for, uh, for taking some time here. And, uh, as always, brother, you're welcome to come no, join us. Here thank you. Yeah. Thank you story. guys. It's a pleasure for me to be with you guys and, and anytime again. So obviously thank you for everybody that listen now and yeah, I'm going to try to get some sleep now, but uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you guys today. Thanks, Ricky. Thank you, Chris. So <clears throat> I got a question for Mo. If you are, uh, if you're still here. Yes, I am. You're, you know, I've, I've heard, I heard doing stories, you know, for the, for years about, you know, Oh yeah, we got one of those in the basement. Oh, Hey, we got one of those in the basement. Yeah. I said the, I said that a lot this weekend. What are the odds that somewhere in the basement you're going to help me find my dream truck, the '86 B2000? Uh, <laughs> the odds are pretty good. <laughs> if, if if I could explain to you the amount of time that I have spent looking online for a B2000 that wasn't oh driven through everything it shouldn't have and it's since it's in its lifetime the amount of hours that i've spent on that and all i'm trying to do is find one that i can purchase and take care of and love for life what color are you looking for i don't care (laughs) any so so, uh we have one but uh, nothing nothing in the basement is for sale i can tell you that um so the basement that mazda that people you know talk about mazda's basement being this sort of you know, half mythical place that, that where all these cars are kept. It's not mythical. It's real. In fact, uh, this morning I, I stayed up in Long Beach last night, went over to the convention center. We loaded up the truck. And, and as Ricky mentioned, he's there loading the truck with the guys. Taz Harvey was there loading cars with us this morning. Uh, and we came back, back down to uh, Irvine and we loaded everything back down into the basement. Um, and there's some pretty cool stuff down there. There's a, there's a, Probably one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Is yeah, it's about a dozen race cars, uh, maybe a little more than that. Um, but then most of what's down there are street cars, important street cars in Mazda's history. So, for example, when the Miata was launched in 1989 at the Chicago Auto Show, there were three Miatas on this on the display stand at that auto show: a red one, a white one, a blue one. Obviously, homage to launching a car in the U.S. And those three, those exact three, are in the basement. Um, 
we have every iteration of, of Miata. Uh, we have every iteration of uh, RX-7 and RX-8. Um, and we have a lot of other really cool stuff that that's, we've found along the way uh, or that that Japan has sent um, to the U.S. and we've managed to keep it. We even have, we don't own this, but we have it in the basement. We have Tommy Kendall's uh, Malibu Grand Prix RX-7. I was chatting to Tommy about this at the weekend. That's the winningest single chassis in IMSA history. Um, and Tommy won two championships, I think, in that car. Um, and that sits in the basement, I think, because Tommy doesn't want to pay storage fees elsewhere. That's why it's in our <laughs> uh, The chicken mobile. Yeah, the, the, the exactly. cost to keep a chicken mobile running are kind of high and low. <laughs> exactly. I should also mention I, I foresee a future uh, uh, hashtag racing family show from the basement, by the way. Um, I'm Marshall. Oh, yeah. I'm so in as long as I can find the truck I need and get out before security. Okay, well, I, I, we should be honest. The whole idea of doing a live show from the basement is just so I can distract you, Mo, while Wheeler pushes that B2000 out the door. But, uh, all right, I'll fess up to the uh, the motivation here. But yeah. <sighs> I can't wait to get down there. There's a lot of cool stuff. Well, one of the things, as you, as you saw at the weekend, um, Marshall, when I was talking to people about the lineage of these cars and, and you know the the seven the the whole seven series of cars, beginning with seven three seven, and the seven five seven, which was a three rotor uh, car. We have one of those that is yet to be restored. Um, and then the seven six seven, which became seven six seven B, the seven eight seven, and then the seven nine two, which was the IMSA car. So at the end of ninety one, as everybody knows, uh, rotaries were became Ill- ineligible for Le Mans. The common myth is we won and there and then we're banned. That's not true. The rule rule package was changing anyway, as rules do from time to time, as we see now with DPI and LMDH about to change. Um, so the rule package was changing and, and rotaries were no longer allowed. So for 92 at Le Mans, Mazda created uh, a car called the MXR01, which was a Judd V10 Formula One engined uh Mazda prototype racer, spectacular looking car, uh, based on the Jaguar XJR14. Um, at the time, we we redesigned it a little bit, um, but essentially, it's a Formula One car with fenders on it, um, and we have one of those in the basement. <laughs> so um, there's a there, there's a we have one of those is a, is a is a phrase I used a lot this weekend. <laughs> so that's the one I want to see most, as I mentioned to you. Oh, such a glorious machine. Mo, I'm going to invite in a mutual friend, uh, the Declan Brennan, son of Ireland. Uh, Want to bring? We're very Dex- proud of him. Yes, indeed, we are, uh, for the most part. Um, but Dex, this show we do, we talk about everything during Long Beach. We obviously had the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, and I wanted to discuss your team's effort there uh, really so happy truly happy for you andres and mark and everybody who uh looks after the gradient racing team competing in imsa's gtd category ended up finishing second one of the most popular cars at the event with the amazing livery that you had and this is something where acura at the acura long beach grand prix knowing that it had two cars in the big DPI class ended up having two cars in GTD. They wanted to make sure you were there to help represent the company, hope that you would do well. 
you come away with an amazing podium with one of IMSA's newest or smaller teams. Uh, just give us a, a thought, brother, the reaction post-race, getting a podium, knowing, honestly, brother, uh, you guys were, were giant killers on a weekend where I don't know if anybody had you pegged for doing what you did. Well, you know, Mark, Marshall, it's really funny. If you were surprised by that result, you might not have been paying attention. Uh, and that sounds terribly arrogant, and I don't mean it that way. We, we were Thanks for joining the show, Dex. We're going to cut your mic right now. <laughs> Just kidding. I love we you, were brother. Very fa- we were very fast at Daytona, and had had just didn't have, uh, you know, the look that you need in a 24-hour race. We were very fast. We were heading to the front uh, at Sebring when Kiffin had his, his uh made his rookie error at turn 17, which is completely forgivable because it's it's eaten up the best of us. And we got to this event running for the first time in GTD with a, without till. So we didn't have a, a bronze and a, and a silver. We had a silver and a, and a gold running effectively. So we think about it that way. We, we and no, no disrespect to till at all, but we had as good a lineup as we probably could have uh, in a car that we were increasingly comfortable with and we knew how fast it was. And we went there with the weirdly calm confidence and the, the efforts during practice and qualifying were very calm and we weren't chasing things and it just felt really good. Like Mark was probably disappointed with qualifying because on on his in the third sector of his what should have been his best lap he called traffic but again that's the nature of Long Beach so you just you sometimes you just don't get lucky with qualifying and and we just did our thing and and the performance levels were 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 at a, a consistently high level and Mario was is an extraordinary driver who we all know that and, and Mario uh, Andretti Sorry, Mario <laughs> Farnbacher. Yes. Yeah, and 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 I'll get to the, to the accurate representation in a second. But to be fair, I think that was always going to be the best we could do because uh, we have to take our hats off. I'm not wearing a hat, but if I was wearing one, I would be now vigorously taking it off to the Paul Miller organization because they they were untouchable. They were brilliant this weekend in that car, absolutely brilliant. So, um, and we did. I don't even believe necessarily we did anything spectacular. We just did our job and one or two people as tends to happen in, in, in slightly chaotic street races didn't do their jobs and we got second. But, but from, from our partnership perspective and and the work that Acura put in on this program for us, it's, it's just absolutely astonishing. We, we uh, came away from Sebring with no plans to run at this event. And as you mentioned in the introduction, John Akeda and his team pulled out all the stops to have us there. And not only did they do that, they then wanted to integrate us into their national Chiaki's Journey campaign, which was mind-blowing Tell about us. that, who, who might not know, but you had the full anime livery. I don't believe there's a single T-shirt, hat, sticker of all the things that they had in the little kind of pop-up uh, shop that they had inside the convention center. I don't think any, granted, I shouldn't say this, but I will. There was a lot of Wayne Taylor racing swag left over to buy on Sunday and Meyershank racing. Again, no disrespect, all of the stuff related to uh, your uh, gradient racing Acura NSX GT3 and its special anime livery gone. 
absolutely yeah. gone. But tell folks about this, brother, because I don't know if you knew it was going to fire off the way that it was, but holy cow, this became an instant fan favorite. Well, it's that's uh, it's it's such an important uh, story as well. Insofar as so, I was aware of this because because having a been a, a an advertising and marketing grad, I was following this quite closely before we got involved. But they launched a an, a, a four one minute uh, anime series for women in episodes based at Long Beach on the track uh, around the uh, adventures of a uh, uh, a young uh, Japanese American girl whose father was an IMSA champion uh, and she's uh, not he's no longer with us and, and she's been raised by her uncle and she gets into the and the, over the course of the, the four episodes very short episodes she uh, learns uh, how to be precise and and de- develop patience and skill on the track, and then she beats her rival. And it was it's actually it's beautifully done. They they there's loads of little Easter eggs and hidden nods to Acura Acura's past. Like she's at the start, she's sit, sitting on one of the old Integras, the one that that tuner the West Coast tuner uh, fans all love. And there's loads loads of things like that where they're really trying to connect with with that culture. Uh, and in real terms, move the demographic of the of the Acura brand downwards. And Johnny Cater said to me that it's the most successful campaign they've ever done. They've done that. They've had nearly eight hundred million impressions on social media. Holy uh, poop! Each, uh, uh, each episode is is uh, is reached like six or seven million. Uh, uh, viewers on on YouTube and the other platforms it's on, and and um, the thing for me was, and this is the the telling part that we spent a lot of time obviously addressing fans at the the IMSA do this as Moel attests. They do a great uh, meet the fans event uh, in the mall across the street on Thursday night. We we ran out of hero cards, and these um, the hero cards are sensational because the agency that created the whole program put our hero cards together and turned Mark and and. Uh, uh, Mark Miller and, and Mario Frombacher into anime characters, and you know, and and it's it's just the, what they did was extraordinary, and the amount of feedback we had from fans saying this car is amazing and it's so awesome. I've always wanted to see an anime car, and and it's just it, they just killed it. They did an incredible job, and to be honest, I don't think John Akeda would have been any happier in Victory Lane if we'd won. I think it it was it was just a it, it was important that we did well and that we represented the brand as well as we could at their home race and we did and and we're thrilled about it and he's thrilled about it and whether it leads to anything else we do with this program I I hope so and I don't have any confirmation yet but I'm I'm hoping that that may be the case that that our our uh, activation and our performance is going to lead to more work directly with the program, which I'd be, I'd be all over. I'd love. The only thing I'm I'm disappointed about Dex is looking at the hero card. Is they did not do Mark, our man Mark Miller. I mean, they should have done him as Hawkeye because he is the world's best Jeremy Renner um, uh, lookalike. So might have missed a little bit. I'll talk to John Kate about that. I'm sure he drew all this by hand himself. But, you know, you could have gone a little bit farther. Anime, Mark Miller as Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye racing. Well, here, here's the deal, Marshall. 
here's the deal. The uh, John talked about the success of of the campaign and extending it, potentially doing season two next year. Like they normally, like a lot of like most brands will reinvent their messaging year in year in year out. But this has been so successful that they they are talking about maybe doing it again. Uh, extending it through this year and creating season two next year. And I said to him, well, if you're going to do that, then obviously Mario and Mark are going to have to actually literally be featured in the cartoon. And uh, and he didn't he didn't take that as uh, me joking. He he took it seriously and said, yeah, that, that's, you know, we, we'll have to think about that. And uh, so maybe we'll get a representation of Mark Miller where he looks exactly like Jeremy. Well, he looks like Hawkeye, which, which is, which would arguably be what he should look like anyway, because he basically looks exactly like Jeremy Renner. Well, I can tell or you how, can Jeremy tell you Renner how looks a lot like Mark, one way or the other. Yes. Yes. Mark, Mark was pretty pumped at 11.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time last night at the terminal at LAX as he walked through, dragging himself to his flight to Detroit, trophy in hand. Nothing else, just carrying his trophy, eyes glazed over. Naked. Oh, yeah. Mark, Mark had never put it in a box. You know, Mark had never, never hide his light under a bushel. He would, oh no, no. It's like, he, I'm sure he was, he was carrying it triumphantly above his head. He, as bought he, a, through it. he bought a baby seat to strap into the middle seat to then put the trophy in. So I but he think also, that's, that's actually he he first class tickets and he made his wife Tabitha get a standby seat. So the trophy they, had a first class seat. They also hired a guy who holds out the sign like on the street. Uh, you know, they hired the sign spinner guy to walk with them pointing at the trophy. Yep. <laughs> <as well. laughs> yeah. That was you, Dex. Stop lying. <laughs> you know, we have, we have uh, our friend Alanis King on here. Alanis, I got to mention, I had, I think, three conversations last weekend at Long Beach where folks asked, when your book is coming out. So not as if uh, the hashtag racing family show is uh, everyone's number one news source, but can you at least tell us when we can read about the saga of rich energy and the wonderful non-dramatic uh, <laughs> things they did that were just perfectly above board, nothing to talk about. This is so nice of you. Wow. I was actually at Long Beach on Friday. Um, the anime setup in the convention center was amazing. Wow. I loved it. It felt so young and fun and cool. Um, I really appreciate that people asked you about it, Marshall. That's so nice. So it's tentatively the book is in fall of 2022. We believe that means around September or October. Right now, the publisher is going through its edits of the book, and then what happens after that is they send it back to us. We accept the edits. We actually have to add a couple of things because the Earl Collie stuff happened after we submitted it. Um, so we're going to add a couple of paragraphs, and then after that, we will manually create the index, and then it will get put on the printer, and it will go out. So we're thinking September or October right around slash before the U.S. Grand Prix. And the book is, yeah, Racing with Rich Energy. It's about what happened with the Rich Energy Haas F1 team in 2019. Any truth to the rumor that both Gene Haas and Rich Energy are, are co-sponsors of the book because they just can't wait for that story to be told? <laughs> you know, what's actually really funny is... Um, no one really wanted to talk too much. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, no one wanted to talk too much, but I definitely believe some people will be reading it. 
uh, but we got a lot of, oh, thank you, Wheeler, for sharing the, the tweet to the space about the book. Uh, at the top of the space, there's a tweet about the book, and there's a link to the website. It's currently available for pre-order in the United States, but uh, we don't have the international distribution yet, so that that's coming, and I'll post about it. But yeah, we talked to a lot of um, former Haas employees, people formerly involved, formerly involved with Rich Energy. We actually got in contact with a U.S. distributor of Rich Energy before William Story even got involved with the brand. So like, we got a lot of people to talk, and it was really cool. Um, but no, Gene Haas and Rich Energy, William Story, they we did not have much participation from them. Well. So- the ghosts of William Story and Gene Haas. Maybe, uh, maybe we can get something from them on background. So, either way, <laughs> we'll can't see. wait to uh, well, can't wait to get my hands on it. Thank you so much, Marshall. I appreciate it. I'm sorry we missed each other at Long Beach. I was only there on Friday, and then I went home on Saturday. Oh, now, it's all all good. All good. Alanis, was your one day only visit to Long Beach the reason you didn't notify me so we could reschedule our go kart match? Yeah, Wheeler, I'm sorry. I actually brought a friend to Long Beach on Friday who knew nothing about race cars, knew nothing about racing. This was her first day at a racetrack ever. And so I was with her all day entertaining her. And so I didn't notify too many people that I was there because it was just all over the place. But it was nice. She got IndyCar 101 from Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson told her about what IndyCar was. And then Elio Castroneves taught her about cool suits and driver swaps. It was a good time. Well, did she you didn't do get any... any tax advice from Elio, right? Just confirming. No, 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 I didn't. Okay. But, you know, right. um, oh, 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 tax advice is actually, uh, I just submitted my taxes and it was kind of terrifying. So on that subject, I am terrified of my own taxes. Mo, uh, we're going to come back to you here in just a sec, but I know uh, our pal Ryan Terpstra, who's uh, joined us on the Hashtag Racing Family Show for many, many episodes. You've been sitting there patiently, my friend, on mute. So we're going to ask you to just stay there on mute. Just kidding. The uh, floor is yours, Ryan. Thanks, MP. Appreciate it. Mo, if you're looking for any suggestions on where you can kind of get some of those nice acoustics that you talked about between 8 and 9 in Long Beach, man, I got to tell you, that front stretch at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, bouncing off both sides of those grandstands, uh, I don't know what excuse you can use to bring the cars out there for, you know, a, a certain Sunday in May just to warm up the crowd, but uh, that'd be quite quite the uh, ear-splitting, eye-opening wake-up call at uh, early in the morning. Well, that, that would be special, wouldn't it? <laughs> we don't need much, much of an excuse, I can tell you that. The, the reaction, the corporate reaction uh, at Mazda was, over the weekend, was we got to find more opportunities to run these things. Everyone loves these things. And, you know, overwhelmingly on, on Twitter and on our social media uh, platforms over the weekend, overwhelmingly the, 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 one of the predominant responses was, when can you bring these east so, so people who aren't in Long Beach can see and particularly hear them so but yeah running down running down at, at indianapolis that would be special wouldn't it i'm thinking mo I, and and ryan i think we got an idea here so what is it wheeler is it 5 a.m on race morning when they fire off the cannon i think it's five maybe it's yeah, six but whatever it's, it is it's, it's great let me tell you it, yeah oh, trust me so the norm this little dumb sidebar but uh traffic can often be an issue when you're firing uh, 300 plus thousand people into a 
racetrack that's in the middle of the city. So uh, the little hack, for those who don't know, is uh, to get in at about 4 a.m. I mean, you get up early and you're super groggy, stumbling out of the hotel. But basically, you get there super early and just park and go right back to sleep for however long until the cannon goes off. And if you're parking in the infield uh, and the cannon's going off in the infield, just bring an extra pair of underwear because it'll scare the poop out of you if you're in the middle of uh, of a cold sleep. But I was just going to say, Mo, uh, I think we're going to I'm going to lobby Roger next time I see him to put the cannon away. I think a four rotor <laughs> Mazda at 5 a.m. lapping the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that needs to become the new tradition. Well, as you know, Marshall, we have four four rotor Mazdas that are in running fettle at the moment so we could as you called this weekend what did you call it the 12 12 rotors of fury 12 rotors of fury but yes but you know because this was your idea we did a 16 rotor symphony in the past and we could we could uh put that band back together and and uh, reconstitute the 16 rotor symphony I I that's, that's what we're thinking of when we get to, to rolex reunion in august we might bring all four of them I I think that's perfect. I also think I've just figured out the closing chapter to my career in motor racing. So I started out as a mechanic, worked my way up, blah, 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 uh, retired, moved to the uh, media side. I f- love the idea of a big Newell motorhome towing a single car trailer with one of your four-rotor Mazdas. I will take that around the country and go to whatever vintage events, be the mechanic, run the thing for you. I think that's a beautiful way to uh, bookend my career. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I might join you on that little little journey. You know, when, when one of the things take a number, this, MP. Yeah, one of the things we did this weekend is is you know we were pitted inside the convention center, and that's where the historic cars always are. It was actually kind of nice. Friday was a miserably hot day to be outside, so being pitted inside the convention center wasn't terrible. Um, it was such a great break from the heat. I like, oh, it was yeah, great. Yeah. So they'd ask, you can't start the cars inside, you can't feel the cars, all that kind of stuff. They'd wheel us out under the trees on, on the pre-grid, and that's where you would sit for probably 20, 30 minutes, and that's where we had to put, we had to heat cycle the cars and warm them up. So we made the sort of decision to take some of the younger kids who were on our team, kids, you know, 20, 20 19, 20, 21, We'd had them steer the cars down and them sit in them while we warmed them up. And, you know, if you're if you're a 21 year old kid and you're, this is sort of you're you're in this because your dad invited you to be a part of something or and you get to sit in this thing. And once we fire them up, they immediately draw attention. Immediately, there's a crowd around the cars and there's people taking pictures and there's, you know, I mean, it's a pretty cool thing. So so we made a deliberate decision to let the let the. The younger members of our team have the enjoy that moment, um, and that that was pretty special, you know. So it was good. Mo, I think, Mo, I think what you've got to do is if you're, if there's a clamor to bring them east, you bring them to Lime Rock, uh, where the Toyota still holds the outright lap record, which is farcically something like forty two seconds, which is I laugh every time I think about it. PJ Jones holds holds the lap record. I think it's forty two yeah. seconds. Bring them to Lime Rock and basically say to the NIMBYs who who hate the fact that it's noisy, <laughs> say, right, okay, 
if you won't let us run Sunday, we're going to run all day with the loudest cars in history on Saturday. <laughs> Mazda so, shuts down Lime Rock Park in perpetuity. Thanks, Dex. We've just but, killed another American racetrack. But can you imagine? Can you imagine what driving one of these things around at at you know in back in its day when you were really pushing for for speed, driving one of these at Lime Rock? What a, what an incredible. Uh, you know, mix of of the tightest, you know, littlest circuit we go to, and and the biggest, most you know, incredibly fast cars to put them together, and you end up with a lap record of forty two seconds. That that's incredible. And you know, the Toyota we had a Toyota running in this class this weekend, and 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 you know, everybody loves these cars, but to have. Justin and Alex Gurney come by and and the, obviously to look at the Toyota, but they they made sure to come and look at the Mazdas because you know Mazda and and Toyota were racing, you know together. Toyota was winning, Mazda was in those races, but Toyota Toyota was doing all the winning um, back in '92. I mean, just this is an era of motorsports that people just there's a there's a deep love for for the GTP era. That was uh, such a cool thing, Mo. Um was fortunate to spend some time with the Gurney family on Thursday. And then, uh, they were kind enough to invite me, uh, Evie Gurney to, uh, sit with their, sit with them at their table at the RDC dinner. And, you know, they're just the, they're dear, dear friends and happened to see, uh, Palomine, Billy Vincent, who's, uh, one of the team leaders at Air McLaren SP, um, also, uh, looks after Felix Rosenquist car from a strategy standpoint well he came to them uh primarily from team penske where billy billy's dad used to work uh, in gtp and billy was uh one of the lead mechanics on the uh porsche rs spiders for roger penske so just sports car racing's in his blood and so he made a point of piling as many air mclaren sp mechanics onto one of their uh pit haulers and also grabbed rosenquist and brought them up uh, to the paddock there to look at all the cars. And they started at the top where, as you mentioned, the All-American Eagles, uh, Eagle Mark III was positioned right around the time where Justin Gurney and Alex Gurney also happened to show up with Kathy Wyatt, Kathy who runs AAR. And so it was just a perfect collision of timing. And so they're staring at this, one of the, I'd say, the greatest prototype ever made, that Eagle. And here's the son of the man who created and justin looks after all things there at ar as well yeah and so it was cool to put him together with this full indycar crew and i said hey justin what you tell me about the car and so here you have a lot of young mechanics older mechanics and an indycar driver who were just drooling over all the technical details of, of a car that was just you know like something from outer space compared to a admittedly somewhat tame modern day indy car like that eagle from 1991 is still light years ahead of what we're racing today in indy car but just to your point of of the past still holding such a strong grip on folks i think i mentioned to you and i'll share with others that i was emailing back and forth with lee dykstra the uh the designer of that silver Mazda RX yep. 792P. And Lee was asking me to take some photos because he wanted to see how it was and what state it was in. So here's a car that Lee designed 30 years ago. And he's like, hey, it's going to be out. Send me some photos. How cool is that? Yeah. And and speaking of, of you know, 
custodians of the history. You will never find a more enthusiastic person to talk about the history of sports car racing and and the uh, the Eagles in particular than Justin Gurney. The man is just infectious. Well, you, you, I bet you didn't have to ask twice to get him to talk about the cars. He's 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 such a great ambassador for for their brand and for for uh, you know he do, I know he doesn't do it because of the brand. He does it because of his love for for that era and and uh, what a great family. Let me uh, let me move back to our friend Dex because I know Declan has to run here. So Dex, coming off of again, not something you were surprised about or I was surprised about with your gradient racing teams. P2 and GTD uh, in the IMSA race. But tell me where you go next with the great enthusiasm from John Akeda. Tell me about how you guys try and build on this. And I don't mean which race are you going to next, but you've achieved something not only great for the team, but also I'd say there's a groundswell of interest about uh, a team that maybe a lot of folks, racing fans in general, didn't know about before last weekend at Long Beach. What do you guys do to help uplift uh, the name, the brand, and uh, hopefully become more of a household name? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I I spend my time away from the track, you know, obviously trying to build the commercial platform that allows us to, very much like uh, what uh, Ricky said earlier, you know, just working on how to develop a uh, commercial viable platform for us to go racing with other partners. And I'm in the middle of that constantly. And we've got all sorts of interesting stuff going on that will uh, contribute, hopefully, towards us getting out to do more sprint races. Uh, right now, uh, all we can we can do is is leverage the that second place and turn that level of interest that there is now into into more sponsorship dollars and more partnership dollars and and that's that's obviously my job but we've i think in real terms the next great thing that could happen or the next big thing that could happen for us would be uh to to ride directly ride the momentum of the weekend with Acura and we are not as i said we're not ruling out a chance to do more uh events with them we don't return officially until end of June at Watkins Glen. But uh, interestingly, I'm, I'm in the middle of some very cool stuff. I'll just give an example. We've got, we've got a, uh, I'm working on a potential New York City streets shoot for the car, uh, which also would involve one of these uh, state-of-the-art LED studio facilities. That, like, Are you familiar with The Mandalorian? We shot all indoors in a studio using LED uh, screens to make it look like it's outdoors and that, that's yes, the way yes yeah and that's the way automotive uh filming is going because you can do so much of the car is stationary but it doesn't look stationary and so we've got a chance to do some stuff with that and, and i'm very excited about that because that could become a platform for uh for us to leverage with sponsors and it's just and that's the sort of thing you have to do is like sending emails to people saying you can put your name on the side of our truck doesn't cut it anymore <laughs> we have to work so hard to find did ways you, to... did you just tip your hand that we're gonna have a grogu gradient acura nsx gt3 at the next race can i go ahead and start, start promoting that yes <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We've just broken some non-news here, friends. It'll be just on Sports Car 365. Like the yes, <laughs> there we go. This will be uh, on Sports Car 365 any moment now. Uh, Dex, <laughs> sorry, shots fired. Uh, Dex, love you. 
I should also mention I love the fact, well, we're not going to tell folks how we greet one another because it's not a very nice thing, but uh, I need to commend you that for how many years is it now? 10, 12 plus years, Twitter avatar has been the same. Uh, Mark's giant arse sale, which is just (laughs) your humor. It's never changed. You refuse to back down off that wall. The fact that you found something that has the word arse in it, uh, ass, as we would say here in the U.S. I love your commitment, man. You are... you know the story. Did I ever tell you the story? It's very simple. We were oh, staying God. just outside, just outside, uh, in a little town of which I can't remember the name of, just outside uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Uh, the night before, uh, I had walked past that sign. It was on the street where a hotel was, and it said "Giant Warehouse Sale." Uh, and the next day, I was driving out of my hotel, so only not very many hours later, and driving towards the track, and I stopped the car in its tracks, nearly got rear-ended by Hindoff. And I got out and I had to double-check what I'd seen. And I and somebody clearly drunk walking back to their hotel room had thought, I can play with these letters. <laughs> and it became giant our sale. And I genuinely fell down laughing. And I was in tears laughing at this. And I uh, took a photograph out. I have a photograph of me standing beside it with a stupid grin on my face. And it's been uh, it's been with me ever since. And it's part of my DNA now. Mark's joint our sale. As as Dex knows, Marshall, uh, as a as a leader and innovator in the in the marketing and, and social platform world, your avatar really should be descriptive of who you are. And, <laughs> and I commend I commend Declan for 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 you know, leading us uh, on that on that quest for clarity yeah, with our avatars. So, <laughs> Mo, it's 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 very simple. You have to commit to the bit, as they say in comedy. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. Dex, <laughs> thanks for joining us, brother. Mister Wheeler, why don't you uh, invite our uh, our last guest, and then we will uh, look forward to your uh, beautiful, beautiful farewells. All right, we're going to do it with our old friend Bernard. He's welcome back. Wondering, Bernard, have you gotten your kayak yet, my friend? No, no real progress on the kayak yet. It's it's a little, it's been about like 40 degrees and like raining the last month and a half in Wisconsin. So there's not real any use for it. But now's the time to buy, my friend. I, I It could be. I haven't really researched kayak prices that well, but... I mean, first of all, if Mazda ever comes to Road America and needs like a 19, 20-year-old to sit in a race car while it's warming up, please do not hesitate to let me know. I'll be there. We got you. Instantaneously. But uh, would IndyCar uh, ever consider running something similar to what the sports car uh, historic race was at Long Beach at a race somewhere? They actually do that uh, a couple times a year, Bernard. Uh, My friend Mike Lashman who was a mechanic at All-American Racers on a lot of Indy 500 winning uh, championship uh, winning type machines, worked for Parnelli Jones. Uh, He started and runs something called the Vintage Indy Registry. And it is exactly like what you might have seen or or whatever at Long Beach uh, with the old GTP cars. And I think the newest uh, car they have is probably late 80s IndyCar, uh, going all the way back to some late 50s uh, Indy 500 Roadsters. But they do have a nice selection of entries uh, that I think they go to Gateway. Uh, they go to a couple of IndyCar events per year. 
And yeah, I wish that we not only saw them more, but I, I do wonder if IndyCar, knowing Roger's long history in the sport, would want to continue going farther down that road. Because Mo can speak to this as well uh, with what IMSA has just recently done uh, in buying the HSR uh, vintage series. And so that is now owned by IMSA. As of right now, they're not planning to put HSR events on top, you know, as uh, support series for IMSA events. But I do know that's something they have in mind for the future so that they can, just as you mentioned, have uh, the, the cars of back in the day where maybe it's the car that, you know, grandpa, grandma, whichever might have enjoyed seeing. You can now bring the entire family, uh, you know, hopefully sometime here in the near future where, you know, kids can be loving the new cars, the new drivers, the new teams that they uh, really are, are tied into. And, you know, parents and uncles and aunts and whatnot can maybe see the cars that they watched uh, however many decades ago. I just think that's a really smart thing. And Alanis, maybe you can share some uh, thoughts on that as well, of making sure that from an entertainment standpoint, you're not just trying to appeal to today, current and modern only, but maybe giving you know an entire family a reason to buy tickets and to serve the entire audience. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this is important not only for the entire family, but also new fans and old fans like you were talking about. Like my friend Allie, it was her first race ever this past weekend we didn't even watch the race she just got to like see all of the cool things and i think the more cool things you have on display the better and that includes those older cars that are just so loud and just scream like i remember the first time i ever went to a nascar race it's what got me into nascar the coolest part about it was obviously like the smells and the sights and everything but when they first drove by the grandstands on the start of the race, there were 43 cars going by the grandstands and it just shook the earth under me. And technology is really cool. More efficient powertrains are really, really cool. But there's something about an earth shattering vehicle that just makes you go, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I think having all of that on display is really cool. The more stuff you can show people, the better. Just the more information you can give people, the better. And yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think it's important to have an array of stuff that everybody can enjoy. The, the other thing, Marshall, if, if you don't mind me jumping in here, the thing that I love about the historic racing, and, and we go to, per, me personally, I go to quite a few historic races. As you know, Paul Fanner and I are both Formula Ford aficionado, so we we go to several historic races a year. But the the beautiful thing about historic racing is it, is the accessibility, right? So so it's accessible, but there's a there's a, a sort of a reverence that people don't need to, to people don't don't want to and don't mess with the original branding on the cars. The, even though, so for example, Tom Malloy had two cars in the in the G, GTP race at Long Beach this weekend. There was no none of his company's branding on those cars the branding was as it as it would have been back in 92 or 89 when those cars ran you know zach ran the jaguar he didn't change the branding it, it was it was an homage to how the cars were in their day same with us we don't change the branding on the cars so there's almost a purity about it that that the, the you know the the 
average net worth of the people sitting in a, in an SVRA paddock or an HSR paddock is is pretty high. These people are are, are spending their money, enjoying their 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 hobby and the, and the, the things they've collected in these historic cars. But they're doing it in a way that there's a, there's a purity about it, and there's a there's there's a it's sort of you know, money makes the world go round, and we all work in motorsports, and and so we we have to we're aware of that, we're cognizant of that. But but taken to extremes, there's also a crassness about that. That it's all about, you know, how do I how do I how do I get ROI back on my investment? With the historic cars, it, there isn't an ROI conversation. There's a there, it, there's a purity of it. There's almost a, a custodial. Um, mentality about the people who ha- who own and operate these cars that that we have a almost a duty to 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 serve history or to 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 represent the history that that the, that's in these cars and the the people who drove them in the day um, and and I love that about what what we do it's not it's you know it's not our full time gig and it's not what we what everybody gets to do but but when we get to do it it's it's very very um, fulfilling so it might might be a bit of a strange parallel but the thing i try and mention to folks um you know whether they're uh, younger fans or just have never older fans who've never thought of it go to a vintage racing event is it's a lot like going to say a comic-con or something similar to that from from the sense of there is nothing but beautiful art beautiful creativity there's history there. It's in a protected environment where you're not having to worry about all kinds of other distractions, uh, major racing series and autograph sessions and, you know, what just it's stripped down. Here's the thing you're super passionate about year. And even if you don't know all the cars, you can go to a place where everyone there is an expert right? They know exactly this was the spark plug used on this date at this time. Like you go there and it is everybody who knows everything about everything. You see beauty. You get to see cars that maybe you've only ever heard about. You might've seen, you know, somewhere online, but that's, I, as a kid uh, who went to some comic book conventions and some other things and at least got a feel for it, I always had that same parallel, uh, brother, when I'm, I'm at a vintage event because I can spot something in my eye and go, I think I know what that is, but I don't completely know. Let me go walk up. I can spend a minute or an hour looking at it. It's perfectly fine. No, there's no barriers put up. You can walk straight up to the car. Uh, there's going to be people there who can tell you everything about it. It's stuff that if you go to uh, a pro race, NASCAR, IndyCar, IMSA, whatever, you're going to find a lot of friendly folks. They're not going to let you walk right up to the car and go under the tent and pour over it as if it was your own. You can do that at a vintage event. And sometimes it's scary when you're standing next to a $60 million Ferrari 250 GTO and you're like checking yourself to make sure there's nothing that might scratch the paint and get you shot and thrown into jail. But nonetheless, I just do recommend if you get a chance, go to a vintage racing event and just marvel and geek out at some amazing stuff with some really cool people. They're going to make you uh, an expert in whatever you're looking at. Uh, Mr. Wheeler, uh, the show is yours, brother. What do we do from here? Well, Marshall, it is that time once again on this beautiful Monday evening, wherever you may be. 
that we have a few things that we want to say. And the first one is thank you to all of our friends and our family and all of our supporters right here in the Hashtag Racing family. And, of course, our partners, which are the Justice Brothers, Cooper Tire, and TorontoMotorsports.com. If it wasn't for all of you supporting us and coming in to share your stories, ask your questions, liking, tweeting, and bringing your friends, we wouldn't be able to do this for you when we get the opportunities. As we head to our closing thoughts, in honor of this past weekend's reunion in Long Beach, let me remind you how important it is to look back at our history and all the things that we do in a time where people feel overworked, overstressed, and sometimes questioning why they fell in love with the activities and the careers that they've chosen. Sometimes it, it's a product like this past weekend where we can look back and we can see all the amazing things that happened before us that re-makes us fall in love with what we're doing now. You may think you're cool for what you do now, but you're never going to be as cool as the guy that did it first. But if you work as hard, you try as hard, and you're as passionate as they were then, in today's world, you'll be that cool guy to the next generation. So, folks, that's all I have for you. Turn around to those that you know. Call the ones you haven't talked to in a while. Tell them you love them. Tell them you care. Share the positive vibes. And until next time, folks, thank you for being a part of our Hashtag Racing family. My esteemed co-host, Marshall Pruitt. I'm Chris Wheeler, and we will see you the next time we go live right here on the Twitter Space World.